Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone. We are live from Smash Studios at Hudson Yards in New York City as Good Morning New York gets underway on this Tuesday morning. Uh, at this hour, I have personally lived in New York City for 25 years, and in that time, I have called six different neighborhoods home. Some felt more like home than others did, but all had different qualities and features. These are the calculations that many of our New Yorkers end up making or trying to make when choosing where to live. Do you want space or do you want to be surrounded by people? How important is it to be close to a park if you have a pet? How important is it to be close to a subway line if you're commuting to work? And how much is all of this going to cost? Also at this hour, hundreds of new buildings with thousands of units are uh, slated to open up in 2020 during what promises to be a tumultuous year for New York City's real estate market. The glut of high-priced luxury homes hitting the market during a presidential election year means anything is possible in 2020. According to the experts, presidential election years always put a cloud of uncertainty over the market. Let's see about this one. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I am Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, according to recent a recent uh, news article from Curbed, it could take more than six years to clear all of Manhattan's unsold condos at the pace of contracts signed in 2019, data shows. Uh, the borough has 7,050 unsold, newly constructed units. The majority of those, almost 6,000, have not been formally listed for sale, creating a shadow inventory, according to the report. This hidden inventory, the report says, is currently the largest in a swath of lower Manhattan, and that includes the financial district, where 967 of these uh, shadow condominiums exist on top of the 96 that are actively being marketed in the area. More homes were purchased for more than $25 million on Manhattan's 57th Street in the past five years than on any other road in the world. This according to a study published recently by broker Knight Frank. New York has seen a glut of super luxury developments in the past five years as developers take advantage of leaps in engineering that have allowed pencil-thin towers to be constructed on modest plots. Streets with high numbers of new luxury developments top the rankings globally as the world's wealthiest flock to projects with the most modern facilities and designs, said uh, Liam uh, Bailey, Knight uh, Frank's global head of research. Still, the new wave of development is taking its toll on prices. New developers are increasingly turning to an array of concessions to lure buyers for the backlog of high-priced inventory that has built up in recent years. It is a similar story in London where tax hikes and political uncertainty have left the top end of the market mired in the longest sl- longest slump in decades. And in national news, the last two weeks of the year are always the slowest in the mortgage business. And while finance refinance volume took a vacation, homebuyers were apparently busy last week. Mortgage application volume fell 1.5% for the last two weeks of the year. This, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association, refinance volume uh, fell 8% from the two previous weeks and was 74% higher than a year ago when interest rates were around 80 basis points higher. However, mortgage applications to purchase a home increased 5% this past week from the two previous weeks and uh, were 2% higher than a year ago. Buyers today around the United States are facing an extremely lean supply of homes. 
for sale. So some are trying to get out early and beat the competition. Real estate agents across the country and here in New York City are reporting extraordinarily strong demand for early January. I got to tell you something. I've seen a very busy January, at least in my little world. So let's keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. With us today is uh, Matthew Cohen from Halstead, Ari Harkoff from Halstead, Jordan Shea from Douglas Elliman. Phil Horrigan from FreelyLeaseBreak.com. Tracy Hammersley is back with us today from Douglas Elliman. Niall Lundgren from Compass is on his way, and Auntie Jackick from Compass is joining us as well. So, good morning, everybody, and welcome to a new decade. Well, this is our second show of the new decade, but how is everybody? By the way, I did say that, at least in my book of business, I'm seeing a little bit of an a lot of an increase. The past two weeks have been crazy busy. I don't know about you know what it's all going to turn into, but at least the activity is out there. Are you all seeing the same? Absolutely. At least for the start. Our house attendance was up, which was a surprise. They are, the big time. Market, we're having a pretty busy January, thankfully, on the rental side, too. House, uh, the open house market, yeah, last week and the week before, yeah, crazy busy. So, it, good. In, it's all good stuff. Insane. Insane. Matthew, Traditionally, just, we don't usually see much of a pickup till after Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, yeah. so it'll be interesting. Hopefully, it'll pick up even more post that. Uh, Matthew, you just opened a new development. Tell us about that quickly, if you don't mind. Um, love plugging a little bit. Uh, so, 90th between 1st and York, we have 21 apartments, one to three bedrooms, ranging anywhere from uh, basically 1.1 all the way up to 6.5 million. It's a really good project, and uh, we had... 17 groups at our small open house on Sunday. So that just shows you it's very And, that, and that's why I asked, because he told me that the other day, and I was stunned to hear that all good news, but that's fantastic for a new development. And on the Upper East Side, great. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, we actually do already. Yeah, so it's going very well. There's, it, it's of course very, it does. Depend, depending on the neighborhood, there's a lot going on. All right. Talking about neighborhoods, I have personally lived in New York City for 25 years, as I said at the top of the show. And in that time, I've called six different neighborhoods home. I can't believe it's only six. It feels like 100. Some felt more like home than others, but all had different qualities, different stores, activities, pros and cons, gyms close by, gyms not so close by, etc. There are the calculations. These are the calculations that many New Yorkers end up making when choosing where to live. So do you want space? Do you want to be surrounded by people? How important is it to be close to a park? Do you have a pet? Uh, how important is it to be close to a particular subway line? Do people actually make decisions based on a subway line versus just a subway in general? And how much is all this going to cost? In a city where many households are paying more than a third of their annual income in rent, price is often the only factor renters consider when picking a place to live. It is the same for buyers out there looking to purchase. For anyone uh, to, new to New York, this may sound overwhelming, even if you have the means to afford to live wherever you want. There are still going to be trade-offs. So my question to all of you is how, you know, do your buyers, people in your your little world, how do they, you know, make the appropriate trade-offs? So how do they make those decisions to pick a neighborhood or one neighborhood over the other? What seems to be, you know, the most important to your buyers? Is it subway? Is it a park? Is it close to work? Etc. cetera. Uh, one of the things that's so great about this business, as I think we'd all, all agree to, uh, is that there are so many trade-offs to make, but but the buyers themselves often don't know what they are until they start seeing apartments. Mm -hmm. And so... Especially first-time buyers or right. new people to the city, correct. Right. So, so often as brokers, we try to vet that out in the beginning. What's important to you? You know, is it at the apartment? Is it the neighborhood? 
we get them to a few spaces, a few apartments, and then they go, wait a minute, I could never live in this apartment, even though I thought I wanted to, no matter what, live in this neighborhood. And then you slowly realize that, oh, okay. And then that's really how you learn the trade-offs. You really have to be physically in an apartment with buyers, from my experience, to be in the apartment with them. Is this too small? Is this too big? How far, look, the walk to the subway is a little further than you think, et cetera. So, um, that it's really a case by case, Vince, you know, and you have to really, that, that's the, the beauty of a broker. That is the value they add. Well, yeah, I, I agree with that hundred percent. But my question, uh, as a follow up to that is, so are people making decisions based on the apartment themselves or the building, the location? I remember years ago when I was, when I was not an agent and I was looking, uh, for an apartment and I was working with a Corcoran broker for, for many years and she bought and sold with me seven times and multiple times she used to say to me, Vince, for God's sakes, you're not living in the lobby. And what that means was, I used to say to her, I love the apartment, but I don't like this lobby. I can't deal with the lobby. I don't like the street. I don't like this. I don't like that. And we're talking 20 years ago. So, I mean, what what do, what do drives buyers say? Are they still saying the same thing? I don't want the lobby, or I like this, but I don't like the view. I mean, I find that I find that people more than ever are very apartment and building centric these days. Um, they're not as location centric as okay. they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I find that a lot of my clients will focus in on one building, especially if it's a new project um, or even like a pre-war building. You know, but in the past, you would see people kind of try and buy where their kids are going to school or, you know, close to where they work or convenient to where they work or, you know, where their lives are. Say they like hang out in Soho with their friends a lot. And I'm just finding that people are pushing locations, you know, every single day. Uh, You know, I get buyers who come to me and in our first conversation, I'm like, so where are you thinking? (laughs) Like, what areas are you thinking? And they'll be like the whole east side of Manhattan because they're like, oh, you know, my office is on the east side. My apartment's on the east side. I'm good. Like as long as I'm along that subway line, I'm good. Yeah, I think that a couple. I think a couple trends have shifted in the city. So um, one is retail is sort of flattened out across the board. So mm-hmm. neighborhoods have become much more homogenous as every neighborhood has a Chase mm-hmm. Bank, a Citibank, a Trader Joe's, etc. All so over the place. The unique components of mm-hmm. neighborhoods still exist, but they aren't as unique as they were, let's say, 20 years mm-hmm. ago when you were searching. I think. Uber, Lyft, and all the car services have flattened things out. So 100%. It's sort of like, I can go here, I can go there. I mean, I'm tied to the subway, but maybe not as tight as I used to be. Um, and then I think also the current buyer's market is driving people, as Matt says, more towards the apartment and the building and, and perceived value than it is towards, I must be in this neighborhood, which makes our job as brokers harder because it's sort of like, well, I'll look anywhere in these 17 neighborhoods and it's about the apartment, you know? I, I, get those I, all the I just had a new buyer the other day say to me, and, and I was looking right at him and his wife. And I said, so where would you like to be? And he said, well, you know, um, actually anywhere in Manhattan, including Williamsburg and Brooklyn Heights. So yeah. I'm really, I'm really not that specific. New York City. Good luck. Yeah. And I, I, for me not to have a comeback was like a big to do. And I just looked at them and I said, Oh, okay. So we're going to go on a hunt. Basically, we'll take a neighborhood a week. I mean, how do you, I mean, what do you do with that? It's it's they'll educate or you'll educate them as it goes and they'll start to refine. I think am, correct. You, I yeah, think you, you'll pare it down for sure. Amenities but. still do drive and you know with um, uh, the influx of the new developments where, you know, washer dryer units are a given in most parts of the United States and a luxury here in New York and so for some people that starts to drive. Um, I do still think that schools absolutely factor in, especially for families who are choosing to stay in the city mm-hmm. as opposed to mm-hmm. moving out to the boroughs or the suburbs. 
uh, the outer parts of the suburbs. Um, so that does still factor in. But I think Ari's point about the uh, the car services, the Vias and the Ubers and 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 the, the lifts. Line, the you know, yeah, I was sure. in my typical Via car this morning, coming down from the Upper West Side to to Midtown West here, and mm-hmm. I have to tell you something. Every person in that car before I got in it, and as I was in it, was a student going to one of the schools along West End Avenue. You know, on the way down here. So it's kind of like you know. It doesn't matter anymore, based on what Ari just said. It doesn't matter anymore, even when schools are important. These kids jump in via cars or Uber cars or lifts, and they get dropped off right in front of their school. But also Ari's points about retail is a really important one because now with Amazon, mm-hmm. like we used to talk about Fresh Direct, and now right. you can get anything on Amazon, takeaway yeah. groceries. So, right. um, you know, and, and, and good segue from Amazon is like, think about, you know, when Jeff Bezos bought at 212 Fifth last year and, you know, Nomad was starting to get built mm-hmm. up. And then there was the news that he was going to bring in a Whole Foods on 33rd and Park. Like, talk about something that'll completely, you know, bring people to that neighborhood as opposed to in the past when there's really nothing there. I mean, they're, they're like, you go there and, you know, you we walk past a lot of like furniture and rug stores in the last five years. So, you know, it's amazing what things can do. Come on, there's a Barry's Boot Camp, there's an Equinox. <laughs> True, there is Barry's. Well, there are those important things that drive people to neighborhoods, I still believe, like the boot camps yes. and the gyms. And, you know, when I was looking from this last apartment and I'm in it for many, many years, it had to be close to an Equinox gym because I was an Equinox gym member already for many years. And I said, I'm not going to go traveling all over the place in the morning to you go to the gym. You want to start your workout by jogging two miles. Correct. So I want to walk around the corner and there it is and it's fine with me. A lot of a lot of workers now are mobile, so they don't even have to Correct. be in Well, that's the other thing. Yeah, a That's a huge place. thing, Phil. You know, so a lot of people have their laptop and that's all they need and they could really be anywhere. Um, I'm, I'm seeing that a lot more. All right, listen, we got to take a break. Uh, we are coming back to talk more about neighborhoods and people's choices right after the break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We are all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. 
We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back and we're talking about neighborhoods. And so, you know, one of the first things I think we do with buyers when we um, first start with them or even if they come to us again and again and again as regular customers, you know, one of the questions I ask them when they say, like someone said to me just the other day, well, I'll live anywhere in New York, including Brooklyn. So I'm like, well, how well do you know the boroughs? Okay, because that makes a difference. Where do you work? And all of the same criteria. Do you need a park? Do you need a gym? You know, how well do you know the, the, the boroughs? Then within the boroughs, how well do you know the neighborhoods? And and one of you guys said earlier, you know, it really doesn't matter anymore. You know, years ago, neighborhoods, I think, were uh, the determining factor. And then, of course, the the building and the uh, the apartment itself. But people wanted to be in certain neighborhoods today. And I think the new condo craze kind of set this off years ago where people were just going to find the right apartment, the right space for the right dollar. And it could be anywhere. And as I continue to sell the building I'm selling on the Upper East Side, you know, everybody said, oh, you're never going to get people from downtown looking or you're never going to get people from uptown looking because we're sort of like on 61st Street, whatever. And I have to tell you something. Everybody I sold to is either from downtown or from further uptown. And, you know, I've been selling new development for a very long time where I knew that they were probably correct. And I've been pleasantly surprised over the past two years that people are now coming from anywhere. So there are a lot of things. Sorry, Vince, I will just say, though, that that's not, there definitely are people who might be renting and they want to stay in the neighborhood or they're in one apartment and they want to upgrade. Some people are still very tied. They've got their shoe repair guy, their grocery man, their dry cleaners, et cetera. So that's not gone completely out the window. I've always been that way as well. And you're absolutely correct. But I think, you know, more on the new development side where people are buying and probably for the first time, you know, they're like, well, you know. I can go anywhere. You know, do you take public transportation? You know, some people still need to take a bus or, or a train. Uh, you probably don't want to walk too far from work. Do you need peace and quiet? That's a good, That's a great one here Why in, are you New, York in City. New York City. <laughs> right, exactly. Somebody says to me, I need, you know, quality time and I, I need peace and quiet and I can't hear any noise out my window. And I thought, well, 
you can go to Connecticut. <laughs> I mean, this is New York Battery City. Battery Park City. But no, but but I I agree with Tracy. I think there are still people, and your your project is is really on the cusp of Midtown. Correct. So you're very low down on the quote unquote Upper East Side. On I the nexus of still, Midtown and Uptown, there yeah. are still people who will not go above a certain street and will not go right. below a certain street, no mm-hmm. matter how wide their net is. Um, but I, you know, I also think that even though we joke that why why live in New York if you don't like you know the noise? I mean, I'm actually someone who I don't even know why I say this because I sleep horribly anyway. But uh-huh. I I am very noise sensitive, and and you know after living in now my sixth apartment in Manhattan, I'll say that you can figure out spots of the city where it is quieter. I mean, Tracy just said Battery Park. Definitely parts of the Lower East Side, definitely parts of like Upper West oh, near Riverside Boulevard, absolutely. like where you're on the water and mm-hmm. it's a far, far walk or or near. Um, Your new project is very quiet and yeah, peaceful, right? Exactly. Like near Asphalt Green, near Gracie Mansion, Carl Scherz Park. There's definitely spots. Well, that was my other thought, too. If you need to be near nature, that's one of the parks or, or certainly the water. I'm a water person. So, you know, if I can't live right on the water, I like to be where, where I currently am a block away from the water. So if I want to walk on the West Side Pier, I can do so in just a block. So that's kind of cool. You know, there's a difference between pre-war condos, post-war condos, different buildings, as we've talked about, obviously brand new uh, developments and schools, as Tracy mentioned before, people are still driven uh, to certain neighborhoods because of schools, you know, most, most especially the, um, the private schools uh, in the area. And certainly, you know, where um, the better public schools may be, if, and I'm sure there's a benchmark to figure out what's better than the next, you know, I don't know, but you guys all live in certain neighborhoods is there a particular reason why you live in a neighborhood jordan why do you live where you live i mean at the time when i moved into my apartment which has mm. been i want to say five years ago approximately it was which a, neighborhood upper east but uh i don't know not really upper east whatever they call the upper upper east like in the 90s whatever that it's cute thing carnegie hill. Carnegie, hill. carnegie hill well it's now the upper <laughs> east side but it didn't used to be so <laughs> settle down <laughs> carnegie hill yikes bikes okay <laughs> Um, well, that's Lenox Hill, there's Carnegie Hill, there's Yorkville. Yeah, there's all these little All of degrees. these fake neighborhoods. But regardless, um, it was a combination. Of, it was it was value. It was size. It was uh, – there was a market inefficiency at the time because Second Avenue was torn up for the construction, the infrastructure project for the Q train, lots of things like that. And it seemed like a good play. Ultimately, it has paid off because in that time, I now have like – the third or fourth oldest equinox in the or youngest equinox in the city mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. there's a lot of new development Matt's is coming up like two blocks from my apartment Carl mm-hmm. Schurz is there Whole Foods I have a fairway are you going to throw eggs at his sales office window <laughs> <laughs> do you so have a sales office that. yet no not yet um, but no everything has sort of come in together and it's a self-sustaining neighborhood it's very specific that like 86th street corridor if you're familiar with it yeah. both on the upper east and upper west sides mm-hmm. But, you know, other than that, I, I thought it was a I great to place to live. I used to live yeah. Yeah, and I don't mind commuting half an hour by subway. Or well, the queue's a game changer, fine. right? I mean, it, you can go. So it's amazing. Easy. It's fine. You well, sit down and you, and you read yeah. a book. You know, it's not a big deal. Ante, you're in the FIDI district, financial district. What drove you to the financial district? Uh, when I moved there, there was not much there, and it was great value, amazing place. And now that the financial district has really moved to Park Avenue and the 40s and 50s, most of the office buildings became residential um, and more things are coming into the area, such as restaurants, a new eatery in the Oculus, um, and obviously every single subway. So 
it's been very convenient. Well, one of the things that's best about that neighborhood is every single subway is literally a block away. I used to work on that district on Wall Street many years ago when it was a ghost town at 5 o'clock. And there was no even thought of anyone living <laughs> in that neighborhood, let alone on Wall Street. Now, a lot of these buildings you know, converted through the years and they're residential. But it has become quite the place to be. And you really, in all of Manhattan, I think, cannot touch the access to subways from that that location. It's amazing. I like to say it's not a 24-7 neighborhood yet. It's more like 18-6, but it's getting there. But it's getting there. Tracy, yeah. you live in Chelsea. Well, I do. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea, Chelsea Flatiron. Yeah, Chelsea, yeah, yeah, for over 10 years, which is the longest time I've ever lived in one place ever in my life, Me spanning too. any state or city. Mm-hmm. And um, I bought new construction off a of floor plan in 2007. Pioneer. Like to buy high, and then the market crashes. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's 2007. Come back up, oh, oh, yeah. Oh. From um, September 2008 to March 2009, not to go on a tangent, but the only closing that I had was my own money going out, not money coming in. But <laughs> this is true. Thankfully, it has come up and come back down a little bit. Um, and I just love Chelsea. Chelsea is super convenient. Yeah. I think it's the only place in the city. We've got the big three within a few blocks, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, and Fairway. Mm-hmm. One, two, and three. And it is the exercise mecca of the city. It, literally everything that you can think of on class pass or any kind of classes is all within one to five blocks away. So it's yeah, all super Therese, convenient. Tracy and I live right next door to each other. Te- you know, right. We each other class. We always bump into <laughs> each other actually after we work out. Um, <laughs> so it's, yeah, there's so many different, you know, I mean, spin classes, Barry's, like fit club, what's it called? Like fit club or something. SLT, you know, core yoga. There's so much. Yeah, you can't even keep up pick. with the names yeah. of them. But anymore. I will say also just the restaurants are amazing. You've got the easy access to all the 23rd street subways or 14th street. You mm-hmm. can walk to Union Square, meatpacking. It really is <clears> super central, easy to get uptown, downtown. And I am a subway girl given the business. So it's just really convenient. No, the, 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 the location you can't beat. I mean, you're, you're close to all trains and, and you've got great access all over the place. You live in my neighborhood, Phil. I do. Uh, I've lived in New York probably the same as you, Vince, like 20, 23 years. Mm-hmm. And I think if it wow, wasn't... Phil. Yeah, I know, right? I think you would. I know, right? It's like, how old am I? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not uh, must you rub it in? You live there a mat. Seriously. And I think eight different neighborhoods or seven different neighborhoods, but... Uh, I, well, I'm 25 years in six neighborhoods. Yeah, okay, you're topping me. Yeah, on. yeah. But uh, I would say if it wasn't for the Upper West Side, I might not have even stayed because I don't know. After like 15 years, I was like, ah, get me out, you know, get me out of it. And then I moved to the Upper West Side. I bought a place, a uh, very large, kind of small one bedroom, large studio, mm-hmm. and just absolutely fell in love. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on 70th Street. And you got you got the Central Park a block away. You got the Met. I, I used to go to the Opera all the time. You can take the express train right down to Times Square. Mm-hmm. You got the water, Riverside Park, right right there. Um, and of course, you still got the Trader Joe's and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely loved it. And uh, and then I moved to Hell's Kitchen after that. And yeah, because I wanted just a change, right? Thank you for calling it Hell's Kitchen and yeah. not Clinton. Oh, I mean, it yeah, is. No, no, you got to go no, Hell's no, Kitchen. It's Hell's, Old school Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, right? Hell's Kitchen. And you know, I love that. I really did. I, I enjoyed it. But that was like after two years, get get us out of there. And then had the kids. And with the kids. Oh, not for kids. I have, I have a two no. and a five-year-old now. Yeah. Upper West, back to Upper West Side, right by Zabar's. Mm-hmm. Man, it is just, I just love that neighborhood. Those kids, bagels man. at Zabar's, you can't, I mean, <laughs> cannot touch. And that cream cheese. I actually like H&H bagels better. But, uh, uh, well, yeah. listen, that's number one in the city. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but I so it, it's just, I, I just love the neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know. And it's so, it's, you talked about peaceful. It's so peaceful. It is. You, you come out there and you really feel a sense of peace. I'm living you know? in my neighborhood 16 years coming up this April. And, you know, it's the longest, as Tracy said, the longest I've ever lived anywhere 
besides my parents, you know, growing up. But I, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's the park is right there. The the trains are right there, a block away. Express trains. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. Ari, you are in Brooklyn. Representing. I'm Representing. the only Brooklynite here. <laughs> Representing the borough. It's amazing. Um, so I live in Park Slope, and part of our decision uh, when we moved was related to the housing stocks. So we wanted to get a brownstone, um, and part of it was related to Prospect Park. So I like to look at things in the city that are immovable. So retail can change, restaurants, etc., can shift, but no one's building another Prospect Park. No one's building another Central Park. No one's moving the Met Opera, the Met Museum, things like that. Um, and for us, we were looking for sort of a blend between city and suburb, and Park Slope is kind of that balance. It's not suburbs. We don't want to live in New Jersey or Connecticut. No offense to people who do. Um, but we also didn't want to live in Manhattan. We wanted. We don't want to live in Jersey and Connecticut either. I know. That's why we're on this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a safe place. Yeah. I mean. We love you all. nautical Rolex. Yeah, I don't know. I need to move to Greenwich. Yeah. So, uh, so that, that was really the driver. But I think that's an important point that we haven't discussed is the housing stock. Different neighborhoods have different housing stock mm-hmm. and different neighborhoods also have different zoning requirements. So, for example, like if you look at the Upper West Side, West Village, Park Slope, these different neighborhoods, um, the, the zoning height, the density is very low. The height restrictions are high. You have a lot of landmark blocks in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So the look and feel and the aesthetic and the vibe of the neighborhood can only shift so much. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at areas like Midtown or like Far Upper East um, or Yorkville, you know, the neighborhood can change quite dramatically overnight because the zoning allows it to do so. Mm-hmm. So that was another piece of it as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you are in the process of renovating a place, and hopefully you're going to be am. moving in soon. That's the goal. Looks so great, great on your stories Thank and your you. posts. It looks fantastic. Are you in the home stretch finally? Final month, hopefully. Oh, yeah. Ari, I need you to come yell at my contractor later. Okay, but sure yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, Politely. I, I sold an apartment. No, there's no polite at this point. <laughs> one of my clients. One of my clients is supposed to move into their place that they completely got renovated in early November. And uh, I just bumped into him on Sunday, and uh, it's like two months overdue. And I said, so you're still here. When are you going into the new place? He said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I just took from that, oops, that's probably another two to three months. Yep. I know. Yep. I mean, listen, you know, construction is construction. Mm-hmm. New York is New York, and delays are delays. Mm-hmm. With that, we have to take a delay, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Stand by. We are live from Smash Studios here in Hudson Yards, New York City. You're listening to Good, Mor- uh, Good Morning Good morning, New York Real Estate on the Voice uh, America Talk Radio Network. We will be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are 
agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Everybody, we are back with Matthew Cohen from Halstead, uh, Ari Harkoff from Halstead, Jordan Shea from Douglas Elliman, uh, Phil Horrigan, FreeLeadLeaseBreak.com, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, and Auntie Jackick from Compass. All right, so let's talk about divorce. Not a fun topic, but you know what happens in our world. Even when a divorce is amicable, it is usually one of the hardest things you'll ever go through, add in the challenge of New York, the challenges rather of New York City real estate, and things can get even hairier. It's hard enough dealing with the heartache and separation agreements. It's even harder to uh, navigate open houses in the midst of an emotional upheaval. And I think we've all probably, if we we're in the business long enough, have dealt with sellers who are separating, divorcing, and selling. Not fun. You may just want to be done with selling your apartment or finding a new one as quick as possible, but it can be easy to make a mistake and make a decision that seems okay, but it really isn't. What is the best advice you give to separating couples on navigating the New York City real estate market when their marriage is ending or if they are buying a uh, from a couple going through the process? So, for example, you know, I think We've all had sellers who are divorcing, and either they're going to be buying separately on their own, or one may, or the other one may not, or none of them will. They're going to rent, whatever, uh, until they settle things. We all know how complicated it gets. We all know you know, how the negotiations go when you're selling their place. One wants this. The other wants that. One is being stubborn. One is not being stubborn. Truly, how difficult is it to deal with couples who are going through? I mean, it is an emotional upheaval. It's difficult. Well, this is where our broker pest training comes to play, right? Or the broker slash therapist. And I think every, every, every situation is different. There's some who just want to get out and they don't care. There's some who you really do. It's like talking to mom and dad. You have to get buy-in from both. And sometimes mm-hmm. that really slows things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends. And if you're representing a seller who's getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the trickiest, I think. Yeah, which, which I've done before. You want to... I tend, you don't want to let the buyers know, essentially. I mean, you really, it, it's in the best interest of the sellers Great usually point. to not right. let incoming buyers know right. that this couple's getting a divorce. It's it's probably going to hurt the negotiation. 
uh, there could be some sense of desperation, that kind of people, you know, buyers will sense that desperation, make lowball offers. You don't, you want to avoid that. So, but it's oftentimes, an and this, thing. and this like happens, buyers, buyers totally play off energy and they, they want to mm. like buy into a good energy space. And when they hear that people are getting divorced, they feel like it's bad energy. Well, good so it's another, but I had a situation a couple of years back where, you know, I didn't tell the buyers also, you know, um, I was representing the seller and the buyers are direct and, you know, I didn't necessarily tell them that there was an, you know, a situation going on here. Ultimately, <clears throat> excuse me, they did find out though, because the husband and wife who were divorcing and selling couldn't come to terms on the price. Yeah. And so at one point I had to say to the buyer couple, listen, you know, they just can't agree on pricing. And, you know, they asked the, 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 a, a, a very, you know, smart question. What is wrong with the two of them? Their husband and wife, can't they come to an agreement on a price to sell their apartment? <laughs> And at that point, I had to kind of say, well, you know, one is going one way, one is going another way. One wants a higher price, not going to get it. And one wants, you know, the price that I'm telling them, it's going to probably happen. Guess what deal didn't happen? Oh, no. <laughs> now, eventually, we got a deal, but that couple did not get a deal because they were fighting among themselves with, you know, I want more. I you know, This one says, I just want to get out. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I just sell the apartment and, and, and move on. It's Sometimes you have to lose one like that for them to then, then they, they came on the same page the next time. Yes, right? they did. Yes, they did. Well, it took a while, but, but, but yeah. And, Thanks you know, skillful it, well, you know, yeah, well, that's what it is. It's skillful negotiations, but you know, it's, it's trying, especially when you're, when you're representing, you know, both uh, sides of the party. And I can't even imagine in that case, if I was trying to deal with a co-broker, oh boy. I think the hardest thing about selling an apartment to a divorce, I, I just had one last year and it was really sad because I helped them buy when they were actually at such a peak in their marriage, mm. um, you know, many years ago. And so that was, that was hard to see. Um, and you almost get pulled into it. Oh, sure. In the sense of not, not in like the negative way, but like the, the emotional way of being pulled into it. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's hard about it is that when you're selling any couple or helping any couple buy, you know, you, I always like to get everyone on like a three-way text chat or like a three-way email. Mm -hmm. And it really depends on how amicable their divorce is, which most, as we know, are not. And and so, you know, you have to – it's almost like selling two apartments because you have mm -hmm. to talk to both of them mm -hmm. separately about everything. <laughs> and you can't just talk to everyone about everything at the same time. So it's it, uh, it definitely kind of – you know, wears you down a little bit, but it also, um, just like everything I think in this business, it kind of tests your expertise, which is always a nice thing. I was going to add, I mean, I think 95% of our business is managing expectations. Mm -hmm. And so I think that upfront, you have to manage the seller's expectations on both sides, husband and wife or husband, husband, whatever it is, you have to manage your own expectations, you have to manage the buyer's expectations. So in a situation like I just, I just had a divorce sale, <clears> you <throat> tell the buyers, thanks so much for the offer. Sellers are traveling, even if they're not necessarily traveling, it may take a couple of days to get a response. These guys are really busy at work, whatever. I never tell them it's a divorce, but I manage expectations. And I also do that before we even get offers with the sellers. How are we going to handle this? Who's going to respond? You have to get a feel for who's the decision maker. Mm -hmm. I think if you manage the process correctly, it works itself out. If you sort of figure it out on the fly, that's when you run into problems. Yeah, absolutely. And and as Tracy said before, you know, our skillful negotiation, you know, tactics, you know, through all these years really come in, in, into play uh, because there are times when people are traveling, you know, abroad and, and, and can't necessarily be easily reached if there's a time zone uh, issue. But, uh, you know, sometimes you got to kind of cover wherever you can cover. Uh, needless to say, it's not an easy situation to maneuver through. But sometimes, you know, I think that sharpens our skills just like any other, you know, deal that we, we come across that we say, oh, my God, I've never seen that before. 
Well, you know what? You probably have, and you're probably going to see it again, because every deal, as I love to say on the show, will and does go sideways. So you've got to figure out how to get that straight and, and, and moving. Anyway, hundreds of new buildings with thousands of units are slated to open in 2020 during what promises to be a tumultuous year for New York City real estate, and I would say probably U.S. real estate. The glut of high-priced luxury homes hitting the market during a presidential election means anything is possible in 2020. This, according to the experts, the upcoming presidential election uh, can and does put a cloud of uncertainty over markets. Uh, this, according to the uh, market analyst, uh, more than 25,000 new homes in about 700 new residential buildings will open in 2020, according to the data gathered in New York City. So with an overabundance of new product and uh, uh, an overabundance, I would assume, of uh, uh, resale condos and co-ops. What is the thinking in the marketplace? It, it, it is only January, so we're not even you know halfway through a, a first quarter of 2020. But what is the thinking out there? And as I said at the top of the show, I'm seeing or I have seen in the past two weeks a nice uptick in up activity, which I hope continues. Likely. But you know, I don't know how it's going to play out as the elections become closer and the debates become more you know difficult, et cetera, et cetera. What are the thoughts out there with um, people with this current? market or what's happening in this market? So I was looking at the new development data yesterday and it's really interesting. So if you look at 2019, there were about 70 sales per month of new development condos in Manhattan, mm -hmm. about 70 sales per month. There were roughly 90 sales per month at the peak of the market, 2015 to 2017. 70 sales per month is a lot of very expensive new condos. That's a lot of the condos. The market is very healthy. Yes. The problem is it's not as healthy as it was when things were sort of insane. We're in a very healthy market. Or there's just too much inventory. There's too much inventory, and there is the perception of negativity that overshadows the reality. That's the and point. And if you take out a couple key projects, like, for example, one Manhattan Square, which has approximately 800 units. Well, that, that's an if anomaly. If you took a couple of these buildings offline, one wall, one Manhattan Square, a few yeah. buildings in Hudson Yards, all of a sudden the market doesn't have 74 months of supply. It has 30 or 40 months of supply. Absolutely. So I think the market is quite healthy. I think it will be a stable market this year. I think that as we get to the end of the year, as in every election cycle, people will slow down because there will be uncertainty. Um, but it's not an apocalypse. The, no. the press talks about it as if it's an apocalypse. It's not. Well, the, of course we, they we, do, because that's the, what they love to do, because that's what yes. sells, and it helps us not at all. The, that's exactly what sells. But I agree with you. I don't think this is going to be – I don't really think it's going to be a bad year at all. I, I really see things changing nicely, slowly. You know, there will be some, you know, hesitation because of you – know, that's just the way it is. But I think – in election years. But I think it's – I think we're heading for, you know, a better – year than in, in 2019, where I think everything stopped for a whole bunch of reasons. But I think we're, we're showing think majority, signs of more health. I think the majority of people share that opinion. I think there's yeah. just a certain optimism tied with 2020, which I share. And I think, Ari, thank you for sharing that message of hope on the news, on the media. I had no idea. 70 per lot. month? That is uh, down just, just 20 from the absolute crazy that's peak? That's amazing. That, I mean, I would expect, given the, the gloom and doom and the sense that we all have, it would have been 30. Right, so compared well, to ninety at the yeah, peak, that's not really that bad. But it's just perception. Yeah, it's I'm more that. concerned post-election because I think in a in a <laughs> in a liberal city in a liberal state, if Trump is reelected, people will be very unhappy, and if Elizabeth Warren or Sanders are elected people will also be unhappy from an economic <laughs> perspective. So I think we may have a lose-lose coming um, unless something changes in the landscape. Maybe I can pl plug Bloomberg here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from your mouth to God's ears. What's also what's interesting about those numbers is that the majority of the numbers uh, of projects coming up in the next year or two are actually not in Manhattan. 
So you're, th- those numbers are, are taking, you know, the whole borough of Queens, you know, not just Astoria, Long Island City, right. which already have a lot of projects actually coming up. They're talking about Flushing and Woodside and, and you know, areas that are out by the airports, um, you know, and then Brooklyn has a lot of new development coming up as well. So it's actually not as Manhattan focused as it usually is. Uh, you know, and then on the, on the flip side, I, I actually, uh, when people talk about inventory, I actually think inventory could could get better. Like I think that you know, I'm I'm working with a lot of buyers who are looking in neighborhoods where supply is not great actually, and we are waiting for new product to come on, and it's just not coming. Right. And so it is interesting in certain neighborhoods that you yeah. would think are are you know great neighborhoods to be in and buy in and, and build in, most importantly, there is not new product coming up. So the new product that is around, that is sitting there, um, are in our focus in neighborhoods like West Chelsea, like our Ari was saying, like in Hudson Yards, mm-hmm. you know, areas like even Harlem has a lot of new product these days. You know, they're not scattered. They're kind of just focused. They're focused. In certain parts. I mean, like focused. Nomad right now, I think has a over a thousand new development condos for sale. Very interesting. All right, we've got to take a break. Coming up after the break, more with the panel. We will be right back for segment four. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America. 
at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back for segment four. And on the heels of all of our um, of our uh, sales conversation, expensive and New York City are the two words that often go hand in hand, especially when we're talking about real estate. The city has been the second most expensive place to rent and to purchase in the country for several years now. Mm-hmm. The median rent for a one-bedroom recently surpassed 2900 while a two-bedroom can easily uh, cost upwards of thirty six or 4000 as far as buying goes, according to Zillow, the median price of homes currently listed in New York is $674,000, but that number is much higher in Manhattan alone. Still, the age-old question of whether it's best to rent or buy is one that's frequently asked by those mulling a move to New York City or those who already live in New York City and are looking to upgrade, etc., uh, and even current, as I said, current city residents. And here's the truth. There is no easy one-size-fits-all answer whether you should rent or buy, that depends on a number of factors. So when people come to you, I haven't had that question recently. Um, I did a lot in, say, 2017, 18 for some reason, but I haven't gotten that question. Well, you know, Vince, I'm in my rental. Should I continue to rent? Should I get another rental? Should I buy? I've really saved up and I really want to buy, et cetera. So, of course, you know, I look at the situation and say, well, you know, if you're looking to invest or own a piece of the rock and if you can afford it, it's always best to buy. But I haven't had that question recently. Are people asking these days, should I rent or should I buy? Or are they kind of making their decisions on their own? So talk about um, talk about craziness. Uh, you know, it's not crazy and, to and us, being, Daddy. Well, everything is crazy in this <laughs> business. Busy. Um, when all my closings were done in December, at the end of December, I had one active buyer I was working with. And in the span of six days over New Year's, I, I now have eight active buyers I'm working with. Mazel and tov. The, the, and the point that I'm saying that is, I'm not saying it, just say it, is that they actually are coming to me and saying, did you see this article about how rents are at an all-time high in Manhattan over the last 40 years? It, it was either in the Times or in the Wall Street Journal. And um, they're not asking the question. They're giving me a statement. They're saying, why am I still renting? <laughs> like, it, you know, it's it's a buyer's market. It's a softer's market. We can all say that the interest rates are low. And on top of that, rent is really high, especially given the neighborhood you live in. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, after this, I'm going to go see a client of mine who lives in the West Village and, and he wants to buy in the West Village. And obviously it's not cheap, but renting in the West Village is severely high. I mean, it, like if you can get what is your lifestyle, it's very, very high to the point where you question, what am I doing? So it's an interesting um, market to be in with the rent so high throughout any neighborhood. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that. And like I said, I haven't heard the question lately. I think a lot more people are considering buying because we have been spending the last two years saying that we are on the verge of a buyer's market. We are in a buyer's market. We are definitely in a buyer's market. As you said before, interest rates are low. Um, there are deals to be had out there, whether they're new development deals or or uh, resale deals, whether it's condos or co-ops. I mean, I have seen some significant deals happening in the last year. And listen, you know, that's the way we correct here in New York City. And so if that is uh, of a benefit to a buyer, why not? Um, but I always maintain that if you can and if you want to, because not everybody wants to or has the mindset to be an owner, but if you can, it always makes sense to buy because you really in this town, and correct me if I'm wrong, you really never lose your money. I don't know, and I'm in this business a very long time, but I don't know anybody who I've ever sold to through all these years in high and low markets that ever lost money. And believe me, if they did, you'd hear about it. 
Yeah, but in the last few years, we we talk about how many more <clears throat> younger millennial buyers there are, and how yes. they're you know with the tech world, and you know so so many people veer off of what is financially smart and more about what is fitting their lifestyle. And most people's lifestyles are flexible. They want a flexible lifestyle where they can travel, they can go to LA, they can go you know to Miami, they can go here and there, and not have you know, an apartment that they own that they put so much stock into. So I think what's interesting about the market we're in right this second is that even those people are saying it it makes more sense to buy now and I can still be flexible because of what's out there. Mm-hmm. I still get the question sometimes. I still get the question sometimes of, um, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to buy. Um, so l- let's make it happen. And then you get a little deeper into the financials and you realize, oh, they actually can't can't buy. Um, and so, you know, New York is still the kind of place where because of, co- because of the co-op situation, you really do have to have significant assets and more income than you probably think. So it just often happens where you have that discussion and like, no problem, we'll wait a couple of years. So that's, that's one discussion that I, I sometimes still have. And then there's just the idea of how long are you going to be in the place? Because if someone's only going to be in an apartment, they think, or they know they're only going to be in New York City, let's just say, for the next three to five years, it may not make sense to buy if that is your if that's your kind of timeline. Um, so and, and in those cases, those people usually wind up renting. Unless, of course, you sometimes get someone that's like, look, I'm probably going to leave the city in three to five years, but... I would like to own a place for a very long time. I'd like to rent it out. Well, in that case, you'll probably focus on a, on a condo. Well, you know, like I say to people all the time, because people still want to, um, people still want to, to buy. And a lot of people still think that co-ops <clears throat> are lower priced than condos. And they are. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, the co-op boards, even though we're in a softer market and a buyer's market, the co-op boards have not gotten any easier. And in fact, in some cases, I've seen they've gotten a little more difficult for a whole host of reasons. So, you know, a lot of people will come and say, but I have the down payment or I could do this or I have a mortgage commitment and I have this and I have that. But in the end, when you look at their, you know, you peel back the envelope and you look at their finances, they're not going to get past a co-op board. And so that's where you've got to sort of, you know, make them understand that it's not going to work, even though they want to buy. So there's always the pros and cons, and there's always the the give and take as to what can fly and what can't fly. And if you can't do it today, you'll do it tomorrow. It's it's not like it's not going to happen, you know. Uh, You have to just wait until the time is right to get it done. Uh, In the meantime, the rental uh, market seems, to talk a little bit about the the rental market, are prices going up or are they staying the same with all these rent regulations and landlord flaps and whatever else? Yeah, so when people say, and I've read the same article that Matt's referring to about how rental prices are the highest they've ever been, Mm -hmm. the facts on the ground don't necessarily feel that way. I mean, the rental market feels strong, but doesn't feel like oh my God, the prices, everyone, right. And I think the reason is because it's a mix issue. There are a lot of higher end rentals on the market. And so they're kind of bringing up the average price. Mm -hmm. In terms of the overall market right now, we are in the winter market, which generally is the slower market, which means it's better for the renter, not as good for the landlord. And how that usually goes is as you go from November to December, the market gets weaker. And then 
December is almost the lowest point, but and then January there's like a bump up, which is what we're in right now. So you guys are probably seeing like a, you feel like there's like a bump up in the rental traffic and this kind of thing. And then traditionally February goes back down again. February actually is usually the lowest point. And then at March, it kind of continues its March up. So it's hard to say, Vince, if there's a trend right now. I mean, right now I'm just seeing like a lot of up, there's a big uptick in, in traffic. Uh, rental prices are strong, but I, I, I know for sure that a lot of buildings are not getting nearly as much traffic as they were getting in August, September, which again is, is standard, is, is typical. So we'll have to see, like you'll have to ask me the question again in another month or so to see like, are there any new trends developing? But right now we're in like a normal uptick that we would see in January. But do we still follow, you know, seasonal things like the sales market used to be robust in the fall, then it then it became, you know, the January slash spring selling season and, and rentals typically, you know, in the summer months because, you know, people were finishing school, they're starting their jobs in September, et cetera. Are we still in a seasonal I, kind of rental thing? I or is still it just see that. No, I mean, I think, I think it, and people talk about how sales, it's more flat, you know, you, right. you don't have the cycles as much. In the rental market, I still am seeing the cycles. Maybe they're a little smoother. Maybe they're not as as great as they used to be. But look, you still have kids graduating college, you mm-hmm. know, and they're graduating and they're going to come to the city in droves looking for jobs. You're still going to have summer internships. With a New York City dream right, in their <laughs> eyes, the gleam in their eyes. I want to live right. in New York City, the greatest city in the world, right? And that's right. part of the reason for the January <clears throat> bump, too, is that's when some people's employment contracts start. It's the new year. Absolutely. It's kind of similar. Yeah. All right. Unfortunately, we are out of time. That's our broadcast for today. Thanks for joining us. You can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, or Instagram at Vince Rocco. We are back next week because if it's Tuesday morning, it is Good Morning New York Real Estate. Shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Be kind to one another. And for all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.